the Haitian genocide or the Haitian revolution is probably the most romanticized instance of a large-scale slave revolt. It's often uh, characterized as kind of a uh, insurrectionist war for freedom and for the abolition of uh, slavery. However, uh, the a true account of the events uh, kind of casts that conclusion into a bit more of a, a gray area, to put it mildly. I actually write extensively about the Haitian Revolution, and especially its impacts on the uh, evolving kind of uh, pro- and anti-slavery mindset uh, in America in Volume 2 of the 1787 Project. Uh, but first, you know, to, to examine this revolution of sorts, it's really best understood uh, in multiple stages. Uh, there were several, uh, power changed hands several times, uh, generally through uh, either deception uh, or more often through assassination, uh, which is generally what happens when you have a usurpation or a rejection of governing authority that is achieved only through force and you don't actually have solid ideas for implementing a good government in its wake. Uh, so this recalls back some of the, uh, the tenets of a good revolution and the natural rights of revolution, such as uh, the founding of the United States versus other areas uh, that were far more violent and aggressive and despotic, like Haiti. So the the first real uh, can uh, the, the first beginnings of the uh, revolution. Uh, it wasn't even actually to achieve independence from France, who had uh, used Haiti as kind of a satellite plantation colony for a very long time. Uh, Toussaint Louverture, who was the first leader of the uh, revolutionary army in Haiti, uh, he simply desired an end to slavery, which I don't think anybody could fault the man for those ideals. Uh, and he was given that. Uh, and uh, through or under uh, Louverture, Haiti was recognized nationally. Uh, other nations established diplomatic uh, relationships with Haiti, trade relationships. Uh, but although he was most certainly the uh, kinder of the subsequent kind of warlords that took over Haiti, uh, it would be a mistake to try and to, to conflate uh, the circumstances in Haiti with those of America in terms of uh, individual liberties. In fact, many of the uh, the laws passed and even the Constitution, uh, the first Constitution of Haiti, uh, echoed many of the same kind of positive good arguments uh, that dominated the uh, Southern pro-slavery mindset uh, throughout this time, and that actually really became the the chief principle and argument for the Democratic Party and the uh, Calhounists throughout the 19th century. So Louverture 
uh, was eventually uh, deceived and betrayed. Uh, he ended up in a uh, French prison where he died of disease. And one of his uh, previous underlings, uh, Jacques Dessalines, uh, he assumed his role of power around 1806. Now under Dessalines, uh, the kind of soft tyranny under uh, L'Overture really exploded. Uh, he, they adopted a new, extraordinarily, uh, an overtly racist constitution. Um, so just a couple of the, the highlights from this constitution. Uh, it was, no whites, whether they lived in Haiti or were uh, outside investors, were allowed to own any property. No Haitian was allowed to immigrate out of Haiti under penalty of death. That was considered a capital offense. Now, all the uh, anti-white laws, uh, they actually exempted white women. But they were only exempted if they were naturalized Haitian citizens. Um, but there were systems in place where the only way that a white woman could become a nationalized Haitian citizen uh, was through marriage uh, with Haitian men. Uh, this actually is going to uh, apply uh, specifically to uh, acts of genocidal uh, violence that occurred. Uh, it was actually a safeguard, a favor really, for many of the uh, warmongers uh, that uh, under Dessalines would go through Haiti and slaughter and kill uh, all of the all the whites that they could. All Haitians were only allowed to use the term black in order to define themselves or other Haitians. Uh, this was uh, put into effect because there was a long-standing uh, racial, uh, let's say intra-racial, I suppose. Uh, conflict for class and status and superiority and that was premised on skin color uh the as far as um we'll say a sense of superiority based on immutable characteristics uh white people do not uh <laughs> monopolize world history in that regard uh, shadism was a, a constant uh and prevalent type of social phenomena that occurred in uh all regions that had uh, majority black people. Uh, that's where uh, you would have mulattoes or octoroons or I don't all these other terms that they would use, but essentially lighter-skinned blacks uh, who nonetheless were not quote-unquote white uh, felt that their lighter skin put them in a position of authority over the darkest-skinned blacks. Uh, it's so prevalent was this that it it really defined a lot of African society. Uh, and it still affected uh, the black communities, say, in Harlem, New York, uh, into the 20th century. Uh, it still has not uh, been completely evaporated. Uh, very good uh, market out there for skin lightening, uh, chemicals and procedures. Uh, and, of course, uh, it'll continue really throughout history to highlight this, uh, the the immutable characteristic differences that is most certainly not only a white-black white, black paradigm. 
But regardless, this was an attempt to eliminate those uh, kind of distinctions. So everyone in Haiti was black. Uh, you were either black or you were white. Now, a great deal of the Constitution actually took pains for Desilines to appoint himself as the first emperor of Haiti and to uh, raise his wife to the level of empress, naturally. And it just heaps all of these regal privileges on himself and his progeny, including a uh, stipend, so they got paid simply for being, well, related to him. Uh, so what we see, uh, more or less, through this uh, through this process here is the re-establishment or the de-evolution, if you will, uh, to monarchy. Uh, although it can be pretty reasonably argued that's closer to the natural state of man. Uh, certainly was the, for most of human history. Uh, America and its founding kind of destroyed that. Now the very aggressively anti-white, uh, anti-European uh, atmosphere of Haiti uh, was recognized at the time, even in the United States. Uh, as far as, uh, or as late as 1823, uh, these policies remained in effect. And James Monroe uh, commented, actually, on the anti-white Haitian government. He said, Provisions which prohibit the employment and the government of all white persons who have immigrated there since 1816, or may hereafter immigrate there, and which prohibit also the acquisition of such persons of the right of citizenship or to real estate on the island. This is part of a broader series of debates concerning America's uh, diplomatic and economic relations with, with Haiti. Uh, one of the uh, areas we'll discuss here shortly is the economy of Haiti and how damaging uh, this particular policy uh, position was. So what what Desilines also implemented was a series of, of uh, very Stalin-esque work farms and uh, and factories. And he essentially combined kind of the uh, the forced labor paternalism of southern plantations with this larger Stalinist type of approach. So for, uh, Haitians, for example, were appointed by the state, which is Haiti, which would be Desilines, uh, to a particular plantation. And that was the only plantation that they were allowed to work on, and they were not allowed to leave that plantation. Uh, they had no choice in the matter whatsoever. And placed uh, in charge of them uh, were others who were also expected not to leave. Uh, in fact, they could not leave. It was against the law, and they could be executed if they dared to try to uh, own or live in a home that was off of the plantation. So you have this, uh, this strange kind of worker label attached to Haitians now, which at this, at this point is still being argued that they're free Haitians. Um, and of course, of the... the the paternalistic aspect of this is, is self-evident. So you have uh, the southern plantation complex, the paternalistic slave master, and the uh, you know the happy-go-lucky, hee-haw, positive-good argument for the enslaved workers. Only now both are the subject of the state. So you have this large centralized authority uh, in Desilines. 
Now, to even to paint this in even uh, deeper kind of communist redistributionist collectivist uh, mindset here, the workers and also those who were in charge of them, uh, beyond just being assigned where they were going to live, where they were going to work, uh, they were also assigned a wage uh, by the state. Uh, so there was no free market system at all. There was no free labor market system. Uh, there was no such thing as working hard to get ahead. You were simply placed into your chunk or your niche of the social strata, and there you were destined to remain forever. Not, not exactly what one could accurately define as free Haitians. Now, uh, not surprisingly, of course, uh, Dessalines was then also assassinated uh, by others in his regime. Uh, this sent Haiti into a, a brief kind of racial war between blacks and uh, mixed-race peoples. Uh, and the consequence of this war, which is going to sound eerily familiar, uh, was the division of Haiti into two distinct regions. You had the northern region, which was populated primarily by blacks. Uh, it was called, titled the Kingdom of Haiti, and it was ruled by uh, Henry Christophe, uh, one of the bloodiest warlords under Dessalines previously. The southern portion was ruled or populated by mixed-race people, so your mulattoes, your octoroons, and so forth. Uh, it was called the Republic of Haiti, uh, and it was uh, governed by Alexandra and, I guess, Pation? I don't know. It's all French. Now, the remainder of... Uh, what we're going to go through today really applies almost exclusively to the kingdom of Haiti. Uh, to their credit, uh, the kingdom of Haiti, uh, so that would be the southern portion ruled by mixed race, uh, they call themselves a republic anyway, excuse me, uh, but they, uh, they seemed to do okay. They didn't pop up at least as, uh, or at least were perhaps overshadowed by the atrocities of their uh, northern neighbors. So one of the first things that Christoph did was he expanded and tightened the slave labor system that had, he had inherited, essentially, from Dessalines. And he, he broke this system and kind of made it, uh, if one could say so, made it worse by implementing massive, massive amounts of forced labor, hard forced labor. And these were largely... Uh, pursued in uh, architectural projects that were meant to glorify himself. Uh, so there was one such project uh, that was just a giant statue of himself. And there were, the conditions were so terrible that about 20,000 Haitians died in the process of his construction. Uh, Christoph actually created a special military uh, group whose sole task was to ensure that people, uh, free Haitians, uh, were doing their duty, that they weren't slacking off. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, that resulted in 20,000 dead Haitians. Now, eventually... Uh, Haiti was united, of course, uh, but that gives a pretty accurate representation of their background. But we're going to zoom in here a little bit. Uh, we kind of 
kind of generically and broadly uh, discussed the kind of prevalence of crime uh, and violence and murder uh, throughout the revolution. But we're going to examine that uh, in a closer detail and, and also how that affected Haiti's economy. So the entire Haitian revolution, including under Toussaint Louverture, uh, was a testament of, of just cruel, cruel barbarism, uh, revolutionism, anarchy, uh, really the darkest elements of human nature were revealed and exposed here. Uh, you cannot get a starker contrast from the civilized lawful order uh, in, in the West uh, compared to the revolutionary violence of Haiti and, of course, its subsequent uh, de-evolution into uh, monarchy and kind of a weird slave serfdom, uh, finally to just ultimate forced labor. Uh, and slavery. So, in one such instance, for example, uh, it was not uncommon uh, for the black revolutionaries to impale white babies on bayonets and parade them at the front of their battle formations, uh, especially as they marched through various towns and villages. Uh, the abduction and the uh, sexual assault and gang raping of white women was pretty much par for the course. Uh, and calling back to the Haitian constitution, uh, many of these white women were forced to marry uh, blacks that were in the uh, the army, I suppose, of the Haitian revolutionaries. Unfortunately, uh, not all were given that option, uh, just the ones deemed the most beautiful, of course. Uh, many other women were just uh, violently assaulted, in numerous ways, uh, and then murdered, uh, along with any children that they had. Uh, this treatment was also extended, though, uh, to mulatto women, uh, and really any woman that had or appeared to have any type of white lineage. So the the, the racial hatred against whites punctuated the revolution from its inception. Uh, it, the violent the level of violence was perpetuated only against whites uh, and anyone who seemed to have any bit of white in them. Uh, there was an exception to this. There were uh, some groups like the Polish uh, who actually uh, sided with the Haitian revolutionaries and they were, they were uh, given special protections in their constitution and whatnot. Uh, now we have a rare, a very rare insight actually into the events uh, around this time. Uh, there's not a whole lot of uh, in-person documentation or accounts, uh, but Lenora Sanse was a white woman uh, who was, uh, I guess, an expat on Haiti. Uh, she was alive on the island during the reign of Desalines. Uh, now, she published uh, many of her observations and experiences uh, in something called The Horrors of St. Domingo, uh, which was... Uh, what Haiti was before it declared its independence. Um, now, thankfully, there's a little bit of silver lining to her account in that uh, American and British merchants helped to smuggle uh, women off the island. Uh, but other than that, it was pretty brutal. Uh, so she writes, Since the commencement of the revolution, uh, she, and she's referring to a particular black lady, had been a very devil, 
Her husband commanded at St. Mark's and being very amorously inclined. Every white lady who was unfortunate enough to attract his notice received an order to meet him. If she refused, she was sure of being destroyed. And if she complied, she was as sure of being killed by his wife's orders, which were indisputable. So in this particular account, you have one of the, I guess, ranking revolutionaries who took a fancy to white women. And he would then summon him to his chambers or whatnot. And if they declined, he would have them killed. And if they complied, uh, I guess he would get to have his fun. And then his wife would have them killed. So that's a lovely catch-22. Now, she also uh, talks about Dustling's orders at the time to hunt and murder all of the whites on the island, uh, which was uh, that's something that's generally not really... Well, not generally, it's not included in the historical record or most accounts of Haitian history. Uh, but this included uh, the murder of white women specifically because they, any child they gave birth to would have some white in them. That was how deeply hateful uh, the, the racial animosity was. So Sensei writes, A proclamation was issued by Dessalines, in which every white man was declared an enemy of the indigenes, which is what they called themselves, and their color alone deemed sufficient to make them hated and to devote them to destruction. The author of this eloquent production, a white man, became himself the first sacrifice. The destined victims were assembled in a public square where they were slaughtered by the Negroes with the most unexampled cruelty. One brave man seized with desperate fury the sword of one of the Negroes and killing several at length fell, overpowered by numbers. Some victims were concealed by the American merchants. One vessel was searched and several inhabitants being found on board, they were taken and hanged. The mate of the vessel, though an American, shared their fate. Now she also shares uh, the unfortunate fate of many white women that I've kind of alluded to earlier. She writes again, The women have not yet been killed, but they are exposed to every kind of insult and driven from their houses, imprisoned, sent to work on the public roads. Two amiable girls, whom I knew, hung to the neck of their father when the Negroes seized him. They wept and entreated these monsters to spare him, but he was torn rudely from their arms. The youngest, attempting to follow him, received a blow on the head with a musket, which laid her lifeless in the ground. The eldest, frantic with terror, clung to her father when a ruthless negro pierced her with his bayonet and she fell dead at his feet. Some ladies have found protectors in the American merchants who concealed them in their stores. Some have been saved by the British officers. But the greatest number have been driven into the streets and many are forced to carry on their heads baskets of cannonballs from the arsenal to the faucet, a distance of at least three miles. So... Prior to any executions or murders, well, other than those of opportunity, of course, uh, forced labor became the, the kind of the standard uh, for these armies. Uh, they would, well, I guess enlist or forcefully enlist uh, any inhabitants, any white inhabitants they came across and try to use them as parts of their war machine. Uh, although I don't touch on it much here, uh, the revolution was very long in duration and it involved... Uh, several world powers, not just France, but it also eventually involved uh, Spain and Britain as well. 
So this kind of kind of barbarism. Uh, it didn't stop with Destlings. It got worse, really, with Kristoff. Uh, so we've already discussed, you know, the tens of thousands of Haitians that he killed through forced labor. Uh, but he took the anti-white racist violence to a whole new level. Uh, so in some instances, he and his troops would uh, wipe out entire towns, entire villages. Uh, they would simply enter and kill every white person that they could find. Uh, in one town in particular, he slit the throats of 40 white children and piled them on top of the church, local church altar. Um, he also forced mulattoes and octoroons and other mixed-race people to engage in the violence, and he did this, of course, uh, as, again, part of that uh, attempt to destroy any type of social caste based on the on immutable characteristics or shadism of the skin color. Uh, and I'm sure also to uh, destroy any potential they might have of mor- moral superiority in, in these uh, endeavors for, air quotes, freedom. Uh, however, by the, the and throughout the process of all this murdering and burning and scorched earth and, and, and all this, I mean, aside from just destroying uh, the population of Haiti, um, they destroyed almost all of their plantations. So Haiti was a plantation economy. Uh, Their entire uh, source of wealth depended, of course, on these plantations, the growth of uh, profitable cash crops. Now, the tales of the brutality on the island also alienated them from the rest of the world. Um, European countries refused to do business with them. They severed diplomatic and economic ties. Uh, eventually, the United States did as well, although that wouldn't. That the United States actually was uh, involved with uh, Haiti for for much longer than other countries. Uh, but prior to the revolution, Haiti was so profitable that it was actually the wealthiest uh, colony in the world. So it outproduced the West Indies, it outproduced the Caribbean, and it certainly outproduced the southern plantations. And yet by the end of the revolution, really by the end of the first revolution, Haiti was just devoured with abject poverty. So by 1795, uh, already, uh, the and after all these scorched earth tactics of the Haitian revolutionaries, uh, overall crop production was down by 97%. So coffee declined by a little over 97, sugar by 99, cotton by 99, uh, indigo uh, was down to only 0.5% of its previous value. Uh, So they just effectively destroyed the island and their economy. And that's just by 1795. So between 1789 to 1800, uh, a comparison of those uh, different numbers exhibited a 80% decrease. So there was some recovery between 1795 and 1800, but very little. And you can essentially understand a 97% drop in crop production to be synonymous with a 97% decrease in overall uh I guess, gross domestic product. Uh, 
agricultural exports was its entire economy. Now, America is often kind of uh, kind of blamed for the economic conditions of Haiti, uh, so it's it's useful to understand kind of where their history comes from as an economy. Uh, it was the greatest in the world, really, uh, as far as uh, colonies were concerned. And then after their uh, profound revolution, of course, uh, they had little left other than ashes and dirt uh, and forced labor. But uh, several of the uh, subsequent rulers, of course, of Haiti uh, tried to circumvent this using uh, centralized authority, top-down micromanagement-type strategies, With uh, even starting with L'Overture, and uh, to no avail, of course. Now, the America did not actually embargo Haiti until uh, about 1806 to 1808. And prior to this, uh, John Adams and his administration, uh, they had uh, brokered favorable trade deals between uh, themselves, Britain, uh, and Haiti. So the claim that you know the United States had some long-standing racist uh, underpinnings, and somehow the embargo was what destroyed uh, the Haitian economy. Uh, well, first, that's absurd that there was any racial motivations to begin with, because the United States, prior to the embargo, had possessed uh, diplomatic and economic relations, trade relations with Haiti, uh, and other uh, majority black uh, nations as well. Uh, so that's that's just silly. Uh, that's just trying to take history and shove it into a box to fit uh, fit a narrative, of course. Um, but the Haitians didn't need any assistance in destroying their economy. They did so themselves, largely through mass genocide uh, and th- through the uh, wide-scale burning and arson of the th- very system that produced wealth uh, in the plantations. So this, this encapsulates uh, kind of the... the the less, uh, the less discussed components of the, not just the Haitian Revolution, but also the uh, attempt to kind of transfer or, or mislabel its history as, as a, a profound pursuit of individual liberty. Uh, it, it was not. Uh, one could reasonably argue and sensibly argue under L'Overture that it was. Uh, he sought only to uh, abolish slavery. But that quickly snowballed into multiple forms of tyranny. In fact, uh, the history of Haiti is a exemplifies the processes described by Aristotle and others of how different forms of government can devolve into uh, different forms of tyranny. Uh, so, if to to categorize the Haitian Revolution as the pursuit of uh, an American-like founding uh, is silly. Uh, an observation of the first constitution, and especially subsequent constitutions, destroys that notion. Uh, and further, uh, serfdom and slave labor became the status quo immediately after it was founded, and not just, you know, in the, you know, in the United States that was kind of quarantined off to a, a South Democrat kind of thing, and ultimately resulted in civil war. Uh, but in Haiti, there was no such, uh, no such concerns there. Uh, 
So the unfortunate history of Haiti uh, cannot be blamed on America uh, or Britain or France or Spain. Uh, one really needs to look no further than the people that were most actively involved, which was the uh, the leadership of Haitians and the revolutionary armies. Um, that's that's just simply the truth of the matter. So thanks for listening, and if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and tell a friend. Also visit 1787project.com to learn more. <laughs>